Scotland. Uh, she's head of theology at uh, Tabor Victoria, uh, which is uh, one of the great uh, learning uh, institutions here in Melbourne. Um, I have to say one of because I don't want to be biased. I'll get my knuckles wrapped. I think we're all Tabor students here. Do we have anybody who from Harvest or anywhere else? No. Anybody who's studying at Tabor Victoria, which is the best uh, Christian learning institution in Melbourne. Uh, um, it's Ster- oh, that's right, and Sterling, <laughs> and Sterling College. Yeah, oh, I start on. I'm doing Churches of Christ um, history. Lovely. Is it that exciting? Is it Cheryl? Okay, beautiful. Well, I might I might have a snooze on a Wednesday afternoon when I go to class. That's that sounds great. Um, Cheryl's been this is our, I think your third visit with us, and each time Cheryl has come, she's provided us with such a great. Uh, framework of understanding things like uh, the, the gender of God and um, also why is the God of the Old Testament so different from the God of the New Testament and she's just uh, so succinctly and wonderfully um, solved all of the puzzles that we've had over those issues and uh, this morning we've invited uh, 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 Cheryl to come and share with us on giving us an understanding because we're just spending some time looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit giving us some theological framework for understanding who the Holy Spirit is and uh, the Holy Spirit's role in uh, our lives. And so I'm not sure what Cheryl's going to do this morning, but whatever it is, it's going to be great. So give her a warm welcome this morning. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be back here on such a warm day. I'm amazed that so many people came out. Is it cooler here than at home for some of us? I'm pretty sure. Um, Has anyone been watching the news lately? Hands up if you think you know the real Rudd or the real Gillard. Okay. This is really interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that we're caught in this dilemma of having a media, even almost a media-driven situation on our hands, and we're not confident that we know who these people are. Depends which leak or which video you watch or what your partisan voting inclinations are or who your MP is and it's kind of a scary situation that a whole country is in the grip of trying to figure out who two people are. Um, You know, we were promised the real Julia and then we got the real Kevin and then I don't know where the fake ones went but we're still working through that one and as I was thinking about today I was thinking about this whole thing of growing up in the Methodist church as a young person And every now and then I would get the feeling that hovering at the back section of the church was this ghost. Because they were always talking about God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost. And the only ghost I knew was Casper, because he used to read comic books. And so in my mind, I had no idea what they were talking about. Who was this Holy Ghost that hung around at the back of the church and was there when I came in and there when I went out. And I find that really fascinating because um, it seems to be something that down through the ages, people, Christians, really struggled with, trying to know who this thing was, this Holy Ghost. Now, it might have been an issue in your particular setting, but let me show you a slide of a... um, an early painting of the Trinity. Have this lovely flowing bearded God the Father with the crook and everything. Looks like the guy I understood. Then we have Jesus and we recognise him because he's got the right features and he's holding a cross. And who's the Holy Spirit? Where is the Holy Spirit in this picture? Okay, it's that lovely little bird floating around up the top there. Does that help me understand who the Holy Spirit is? No, other than it's a bird. Now, for some of us, we went from thinking about the Holy Spirit as a bird or a ghost, and then all of a sudden, in the 20th century, there was an outbreak of Holy Spirit fervour. And Pentecostalism emerged and some of us were part of the charismatic movement that flowed through Australia in the 1970s. Anyone here who was part of the charismatic movement, put your hand up. Two people here. 
Okay, well that's interesting because it actually touched almost every single denomination in the world. People remained in their denominations but they had an experience of the Holy Spirit. And what happened was as a result of that the Holy Spirit was seen in terms of the exercise of the gift of tongues or all about spiritual gifts and that became the big thing about the Holy Spirit. And churches got polarised between those who were of the Spirit and those who apparently weren't, caused a big stink. And now we get to the 21st century and it's kind of daggy. It's a bit daggy to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's certainly daggy to talk about speaking in tongues and it's kind of weird to talk about spiritual gifts. Um, How do we get to this point? Somehow our view of the Holy Spirit is a little bit skewed. So there'll be people when you talk about the Holy Spirit that have a whole heap of things come in their mind and they just go, nope, not going there. And then other people just sit there and go, I'm not really sure about this Holy Spirit. Now I'm not here to talk to you and to upset the apple cart because I talked to my daughter and I said, now if you were preaching about the Holy Spirit, she's 32, what would you want to hear about? She just thought for a while and she said, hmm, Everything. I went, that's really helpful, dear. <laughs> how, many, how long have you got? Um, so I want to talk today on very selected things that I think are important to know about the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want you to do for the next couple of minutes is talk to the people around your table and maybe you'd like to share a little bit of your understanding of the Holy Spirit and the questions that you would like answered or the things that you would like to know about the Holy Spirit. So let's take a minute or so out. It's going to be an interactive day, otherwise we're all going to fall asleep because it's hot and it's tiring. So just take a couple of seconds out and talk about your experience, your understanding and what you'd like to learn. Okay, one more minute and then we'll gather back together. Let's, um, let me ask you just to hold on to those thoughts for the end. I'm going to hopefully share a little bit about what I thought to myself I'd want to understand about the Holy Spirit and then I want to open it up to us at the end and there'll be a couple of opportunities to discuss as we go along. Um, there's a wonderful story that Dorothy Sayers, the mystery writer, um, told about a missionary that was talking to someone in China 
And he was trying to explain the Holy Spirit, uh, sorry, the Trinity to this man. And lost in a maze of theology, this Oriental gentleman said, Honourable Father, I understand. Honourable Son, I understand. Honourable Bird, I do not understand. And I just wondered when I heard that, you know, how much of this is us? How do we fit a picture of a bird into our life? What about the honourable bird? That's what I want to talk about today, this honourable bird that for many of us has either caused, for some of us it might have caused pain, for some of us it's just a mystery, for others it might be just something we're starting to explore and, and there are so many facets of this but I want to pick up on, on two main ones um, and the first thing I want to say is that while we might know that God is Trinity in our head, we're probably in reality a lot more binatarian than Trinitarian because we don't have any trouble praying to the Father through Jesus. We often can relate to God as a benevolent, loving Father. Jesus is our Saviour. He's our human example. But where does a bird fit into the picture? How do you relate to a bird? And so the first question I, I think we have to understand is who is this bird? And the first question that many people struggle with is, is this honourable bird really God? Well, I want to argue that this honourable bird is an essential part of the Trinity and perhaps in drawing him as a bird, we are trying to say something that maybe is not so helpful in our minds. We can't really relate to a bird being part of the Trinity. But Peter thought it was quite clear that the Holy Spirit was in fact part of the Trinity. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? You know, the one that gave the early church the creeps and us a little bit too, you know, when the collection's taken up. Does anyone ever think of Ananias and Sapphira? Be careful what you say. Because Peter said, after Ananias had lied and said that he'd given everything to the Lord, he said, Ananias, how is it, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So Peter was very clear. If you were lying to the Holy Spirit, you were lying to God. And so for Peter, um, this is not a problem. You're lying to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Now, and I also find it interesting that Ananias, it wasn't, he wasn't struck dead because he didn't give all his money. He was struck dead because he lied about not giving all his money. Okay. All right. When we think about something being God, um, theologians say there are three things, three kind of things that make God God. First of all, he is omnipresent. Everywhere present. Doesn't matter where you go in this world, there God is. Now, Psalm um, 139, verses 7 to 10, we're very familiar with this. Well, I hope we are. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. The psalmist understands that the Holy Spirit is everywhere. There is nowhere we can go that the Holy Spirit is not there. So he has the God attribute of being everywhere present. Another attribute of God is that he, is, he knows everything. Does the Holy Spirit know everything? Well, the honourable bird. Um, we have here in... Um, the story says, I have so much more to say, more than you can bear. This is John, of course, chapter 16. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit 
is the uh, person who knows all truth, who gives us truth. It comes from the Father through Jesus, but he is all-knowing because he is part of the Godhead. And the third thing that is known is this called omnipotent, all-powerful. Beautiful little um, scripture in Job chapter 33. The spirit of the God of God has made me, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The ultimate power that God has is the ability to give life. And so the Holy Spirit holds the three attributes that make him God. He also does work that only God does. He, he is there in creation. The Holy Spirit is able to regenerate people. He is an eternal God. The next question is, is the honourable bird, if he is God, then he is, also, is he also a person? And, and the trouble with the, um, the pictures that we have of God is we have God the Father is a recognisable person, even though we know God is a spirit, not a, not a physical human being. Uh, but we depict him as Father and so we draw him in the image of what we think a Father looks like. We don't have any trouble with Jesus being a person because he walked the earth. But when we come to a bird, how can a bird be a person? Because in order to be equal with God and one of the Trinity, not only do you have to be divine, but you also have to be a person. In Acts 13, um, we're told in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them I there is a personal pronoun in the Greek the Holy Spirit is very clearly using the idea that he is a person and the Holy Spirit has the characteristics that we would expect of a person. I have a granddaughter now and uh, she is nine months old. I am convinced she is a person because she has these three characteristics. She has her own mind. Um, she's intelligent. And the Holy Spirit, throughout the Bible, we recognise that the Holy Spirit has his own mind and is an intelligent being. My daughter has a will of her own. The Holy Spirit has a will of her, his own. Who is it that calls Paul over to Europe? A man from Macedonia in a vision. The Holy Spirit prevents them from going throughout the rest of the region and calls them over. So the Holy Spirit can direct because he has a will of his own. And thirdly, my granddaughter has feelings. She can be joyous one minute and crying her eyes out the next. The Holy Spirit is a person because we have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit. You know that? We can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. It's not hard to know when you've grieved the Holy Spirit. It's when you do something and you feel terrible and you know that you have grieved God, you've grieved the Holy Spirit. And God is a per, uh, the Holy Spirit is a person because he is able to enter into relationships with people. That's what makes a person. Now one of the arguments that a lot of people make uh, who don't really hold to a Trinitarian view is, well, you know, really the Holy Spirit is just Jesus in action. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to heaven, so I'll send the Holy Spirit, but really the Holy Spirit is just another manifestation of Jesus. No, we're talking here about three distinct people. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ um, assumed a human nature. The Holy Spirit didn't. The role of Jesus Christ is to take your place. The Holy Spirit puts you in your place. It's just a nice way of thinking about it. Jesus Christ is the pattern to which we want to form our lives. The Holy Spirit empowers us in order to fill that pattern. We don't pattern our lives on the Holy Spirit, we pattern our lives on Jesus Christ. All of this to say to me is 
that we have an honourable bird that is more than a bird. The honourable bird is part of the Trinity, a person in their own right and a powerful part of the Godhead. Now, someone, I was laughing with someone the other day because we always have different emphases in history. Someone asked me once, well, why didn't people worry about the Holy Spirit so much in the first three centuries or why didn't the church make a big deal about the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the big reasons was that that wasn't the big issue, that they were fighting. All the fights in the first few centuries were about who Jesus was. The big issue wasn't who the Holy Spirit was. In fact, the Holy Spirit barely gets a mention in theology up until the 20th century. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? It took 20 centuries before it became a big issue that theologians write about and think about. Um, someone told me once, well, the Presbyterians believe in God the Father and the rest. The Baptists believe in God the Son, Jesus, and the rest. And the Pentecostals, they believe in God the Holy Spirit and the rest. <laughs> because we all have different emphases. Churches of Christ will have a different emphasis than the Baptists. And you go to a Pentecostal church and you'd, you might sometimes wonder whether there was only one part of the Trinity and that's the Holy Spirit that you need to worry about. So we just need to understand that. And some of the hurts that we carry if, as a result of people getting overzealous about one part of the Trinity, it can happen. It can happen occasionally. So I would like you to, in your groups around your, your tables, simply discuss what difference does it make for me? What does it mean to me to know that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit is in fact God. What difference does it make to my life? And if you don't think it does, you can say that as well. Why don't we take a couple of minutes out to do that? Maybe I can throw one question in. Is it appropriate to worship the Holy Spirit? Let me just throw that one in. If he's God, is it appropriate to worship the Holy Spirit? Okay, let's hear from a few people, someone who'd like to share, what does it mean, what difference does it make to our lives if we know that the Holy Spirit is God? 
How do we respond to that? What does it actually mean in our lives? Someone who'd like to share what they were discussing. Anyone? Come on. I can't go. Big um, voice. We believe that, um, that the Holy Spirit is definitely the comforter in our life and uh, that he's an ever-present uh, in our lives and working with us in our lives. Someone else? What difference does it make? Does it make any difference? Does it mean anything to us? How does it affect the way we live our Christian lives? Um, I often think of that verse, I don't know where it's from, Romans, I think, where it says that the Holy Spirit will intervene in your prayers. Um, so I often think of him sort of editing and making more acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great thought, that the Holy Spirit's up there editing and making our prayers a little bit more palatable to God the Father. Yeah, it's interesting. Anyone else? Anyone else? It's an intriguing concept, isn't it? Um, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit's the experience of God, not just a head knowledge, but he brings the, the, the reality and the experience and the presence and the you know, hearing his voice of God. So it's the experiential part of God. Thank you. Last one. Someone who's got something they want to share? All right. It's fascinating, isn't it, that we... We tend to talk more in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit than we do of him as a person. And that is what it's meant to be. The role of the Holy Spirit is a self-effacing role. (laughs) We're not meant to worship the Holy Spirit. The whole role of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Christ, to empower us to live the the life that Christ enables us to live. And, and, And so it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we tend to think about more than we do about you know just sitting there as part of the trinity let me show you another slide oh sorry there we go see if you can find the holy spirit in that one anyone find it there's a lot going on there Okay, it's um, right at the very top. Once again, we have a bird. It's fascinating, isn't it? You know, the crucified Christ and all these angels and everything, cherubs, and then the Holy Spirit's just floating up there. What about the honourable bird? It's a big question, isn't it? When we think of the honourable bird... I often read the Bible and I look at the work that, and the people that were in the Bible and I read Acts and I see the amazing growth of the church and I see people whose lives were so transformed by, by what happened in their lives that they were able to make huge sacrifices and I guess I ask myself, what do we miss? And I think one of the keys for this is the, the view we've had of the Holy Spirit and how we read it. And so I want to give you a very brief kind of synopsis of the Holy Spirit's activity throughout the Bible story. We start with the fact that the Holy Spirit is involved in creation. If we read in Genesis 1, 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then when humanity, when humans are formed, he breathes into their nostrils the breath of life. Now, when we get to the Old Testament, we have a problem. There are at least 75 unambiguous references to the Holy Spirit, but there's a huge number that are ambiguous because the Hebrew word for spirit, ruach, can mean breath, wind or spirit. And it depends how you choose to translate it. So you might use a translation where every time rock is is, um, used, if there's any doubt, you use the term spirit. Others will use the term wind or breath. And so that's why as we read through our Bibles, depends on your translator of how prominent the Holy Spirit seems to be in your Old Testament. What we do know is that there were some people in the Old Testament who were chosen by God to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the three main ones were the prophets, the priests and the kings. 
And these were the three major roles that you could hold in the Old Testament times. The three most prominent roles that were in the Old Testament society. The prophet. Okay? The prophet, we, if you read the prophecies, if you read the prophetic books, every single time, almost without fail, when the prophet goes to open his mouth, he, the, the scripture shows, and the spirit of the Lord came on the prophet and he spoke. Or he spoke by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. Or the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him and he said. So the prophet is in no doubt that how he's speaking, the words he's speaking have come because the Holy Spirit has come and shown him that this is what he should be speaking. In terms of the priest, we are told that I mean, the priesthood's a bit of a mixed bunch in the Old Testament. They start out okay and go downhill within a generation. Think of Aaron's sons. So the priesthood is a bit of a mixed bunch the whole way through the Old Testament. But spasmodically, we are told that the Spirit of God comes on the priest and enables them to do what they need to do. And then, of course, the king. And the classic story about the Spirit of God's role in anointing the king is the story of David and Saul. If you remember the story, Saul is anointed by Samuel as king. He's from the wrong tribe. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, not the tribe of Judah. So if Saul had been the right king, we would have Jesus coming from the tribe of Benjamin. We know he has to come from the tribe of Judah. So we know that Saul's the wrong choice. But we know also that God allows his choice and the Spirit of God is anointing his kingship right up until he makes a few blunders. Now, if you read 1 Samuel, you see he offers a sacrifice in the place of Samuel the priest. Samuel slaps him over the wrist and then he does something else. He's supposed to put everything to the sword and he keeps some things for himself. And Samuel then goes off and under the guidance of God, finds David and anoints David, the little shepherd boy who has no political credibility at that point, anoints him as the king over Israel, the future king. And the scripture tells us that the anointing, the spirit of God went from Saul and rested on David. And from that time on, if you read the story of Saul, he goes downhill He's already a bit mentally unstable, but he moves into complete instability. Even though he is king over Israel for 40 years, for about 30 of them, he's not really king and he knows that he hasn't got God's anointing. And the anointing comes from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God rests on David. And everything David does turns to gold. Everything Saul does, it turns to dust. Until eventually David becomes king. We also recognise that there are, there are, not only does the Holy Spirit come on individuals, but it comes on whole groups. If you think about in the wilderness where Moses has the 70 elders and the Spirit falls on the 70 elders and Moses goes, man, I wish this would happen more often. You know, life would be easier in the wilderness if we had this going on more often. And then the judges, the Samsons and the Gideons and the Deborahs, if you read their stories, you find out that it's the Spirit of God that empowers them to drive out the enemy. Is the Holy Spirit resident within people's lives? Well, it's a big argument. I think when David writes a psalm and it says, Take not your Holy Spirit from me, he's actually thinking there is a possibility that could happen. But apart from David, we don't really have any sense that the Holy Spirit resides permanently within someone. We have to move into the New Testament for that to take place. And so what we do find in the Old Testament is there is a prophecy, a famous prophecy that Peter picks up on on the day of Pentecost. It comes from Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. And it predicts a time in the future when this Spirit of God is going to manifest far more than in the Old Testament. Afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. 
So when we end the Old Testament, we end knowing that the Spirit comes spasmodically and occasionally on individuals, but there, there is predicted a time in the future where it's going to come in a different way. And there are 40 years of silence from the end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew. And we're told that there's no prophetic word in the land. It almost seems like the Spirit of God has just kind of moved off and is watching from the sidelines. But if you read particularly the book of Luke, you recognise that the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus Christ and the ministry of Jesus is infused with the activity of the Holy Spirit. There is supernatural stuff going on. Supernaturally, remember that Elizabeth, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb by the Spirit of God. That um, Zachariah, her, her husband, is made mute by the Holy Spirit. We have in the, in the ministry of Jesus, from the time he is born, the promise is given by the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth is linked to the Holy Spirit. Simeon's prediction of him in the temple is linked to the Holy Spirit. The baptism of Jesus, this is where we get the dove, folks. For the first time, and by the way, it says, and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, not the Holy Spirit was a dove. Major difference there. Jesus' temptation. The Holy Spirit is with him. In fact, the Holy Spirit drives him out and brings him back. His public ministry, he says, I am anointed by the Spirit of God to do what I'm doing. He teaches about the Holy Spirit. And then we have this wonderful event which begins the church. As he's about to ascend into heaven, Jesus says, Look, I'm sorry folks, you're a motley group, 120 of you. You can't do anything until I leave and I send the Holy Spirit. And while they're waiting, they enter into a bit of drawing of lots and trying to fill the 12th position. You know, the, does anyone know the name of the, the disciple that um, replaced Judas? Barsabbas, I think it was, or one of those, or Mattathias. One of them. Why don't we know it? Because it doesn't seem to be something that Jesus was particularly interested in but the disciples had to fill in their time doing something because, you know, we're supposed to be doing something and then the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and this Holy Spirit um, comes in such a way that it is a dramatic, dramatic thing. And this Holy Spirit comes and energises and empowers a group of people who then take the gospel to the known world so that within three centuries it is the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. And in that event it fulfills this promise that Joel has made. And women get a look in at the moment too. And we read Acts and we ask ourselves, why aren't we seeing this happening in North Fitzroy? Why aren't we seeing it happening in Australia? And my encouragement would be, we're not seeing it in the Western world, but go to China, go to South America, even in Eastern Europe. We are seeing an Acts 2, an Acts experience taking place. As the church in China has grown, in 1948 they estimated there were less than 1,000 Christians when the missionaries had to leave, and now a conservative estimation is 100 million. A conservative estimation, 100 million. So the question is, what about this honourable bird? Something happened at the day of Pentecost. What happened was that the Holy Spirit went from being something that rested on people for a little while to something, someone who came to reside permanently in the hearts and the lives of Christians. And so we have a distinct shift now. The Holy Spirit is not something that is just for the prophet or the priest or the king, but every single believer, 
every single believer receives the Holy Spirit. And let me just throw this one in to make you feel a little bit upset, maybe. It doesn't seem to me to be just a nice oomy feeling. There was an empowerment that took place here that revolutionised people's lives. And as you read through Acts, every time the Holy Spirit comes, it is a revolutionary experience. It is a dramatic thing in the lives of people. Think about the conversion of Paul. Think about Peter and Cornelius. Dramatic things are happening. Think about the healings and the miracles that took place throughout Acts and throughout the early church. It seems to me that the Holy Spirit in 20 centuries has been tamed. If we do acknowledge him, it's a very tame Holy Spirit. We've taken the bird and we've put it in a nice little cage and said we'll bring you out every now and then and just behave yourself. And I think there is a, there is a sense of the Holy Spirit being far more and wanting to do far more than what we see. Let me get you to, in your groups, discuss... Oh, by the way, here's another one. Can anyone see where the Holy Spirit is? even more obscure here. Can't find it. Can anyone see it? Resting on the right shoulder of God the Father. <laughs> it's a little blurry bird, kind of, bitty thingy. All right. All of these symbols of the Holy Spirit say something about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the lives of God's people everywhere throughout the world. I'd like you and your groups to walk around. It goes fire, wind, oil, water, seal, dove and a cloud. And if you just want to spend a little bit of time unpacking, what do they actually mean? What kind of things do they affirm to us about the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives? All of these are symbols that are used in the, in the Bible for the Holy Spirit. Why don't we take a few minutes to do that and then we'll just wrap it up.
Okay, one more minute and then we'll hear your collected wisdom. Okay, let's hear some feedback about some of these symbols. Um, let's start from the top left, fire. What does that tell us about Holy Spirit, who he is and how he works in our lives? Fire. Purifying. Great. Holy Spirit, one of the Holy Spirit's roles is to convict us of sin and purify our hearts. Yes. Wind. Sorry? Okay, so it lifts us up. Wind can propel us further up. Other things about the wind. Breath of God, God yep. Movement, but you can't see it. Yeah, it's an indicator of movement, but you don't actually, you can't never actually hold wind, can you? It shows us, so when we see things happening, we can say, well, that's the Holy Spirit at work, but we can't pin down the Holy Spirit. The other thing about wind is you can't predict it. You get a day like today, don't you hate it? But it will do what it likes. You can never contain it. Just when, sorry? Yes, it's achieving something. It's going somewhere, it's got a purpose for it. Oil. This is more an Old Testament illusion, but what was the idea of oil? Anointing, that's the word we probably most understand by oil. Uh, water. Yes, we have this concept of baptism, life, cleansing, purifying, all of those ideas. Refreshing, great, that's an excellent one. Seal, we never use seals anymore unless we're setting out a wedding invitation or something. Um, a seal, what does a seal mean? Identification, yep. Ownership. Great, security. Excellent. And lastly, oh, sorry, let's go with the dove. We've spent enough time talking about the honourable bird. What does it mean when we talk about... The Holy Spirit is a dove. Well, how does that help us understand him more? Peace, gentleness. That tends to be the two that we come up with. And lastly, this idea of the cloud comes out of the Old Testament when the people are in the wilderness and they are led by the fire at night and the cloud by day. This sense of guidance, leading, protection, God's presence. Let me finish by holding an imaginary conversation with Paul, the great missionary. How would he view the Holy Spirit? Let me give you some thoughts that Paul might have. If I was to have Paul here and say, Paul, you know, the Holy Spirit, we're really keen on God the Father, we love Jesus, we're still trying to figure out the Holy Spirit. Is it really that necessary for what we're trying to do here in this North Fitzroy or wherever we live? What would Paul say? I think Paul would say, first of all, I believe that the Spirit has to be in the preaching of the Word in order to let God reveal to people that they need Jesus. He would say that the Holy Spirit is crucial for people to receive the message of Jesus Christ, the good news. Without the Holy Spirit's activity, people will not be convicted of sin they will not be open to the message of the Holy of, of God and Jesus and they will not make the move towards God. I could give you scriptures for all of these, but Paul seems very clear. He says, I didn't win people over by the eloquence of my words. You and me, I'm hopeless at evangelism. 
You know, I never know what to say. I'm scared I'm going to say the wrong thing. I don't know. But I do know that in the few opportunities I've had where I've relied on the Holy Spirit to give me the words to say, and even not even that, I've seen people who've been convicted just simply because the Spirit is at work in their lives. And there is something about us understanding what the Spirit is doing in someone's lives that helps us to kind of work with God in understanding that the Spirit is at work. The Spirit ultimately is the one who brings us to conversion. We all have a testimony of how God brought us to himself, brought us back into relationship with him. But let me tell you that ultimately it was the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ultimately it is the Spirit. It is the Spirit who adopts us and allows us to be God's children. And we are told that what actually happens in our lives, the regeneration that takes place is by the Spirit. So I think Paul would be saying, you get in by the Holy Spirit. You get in by the Holy Spirit. But the work of the Holy Spirit doesn't end there. We don't just get in to have fire insurance so that we go to heaven rather than hell. The Christian life is far more than getting in. The Christian life is staying in and making it worth the while to stay in. It's about the kingdom of God. And so what is the action of the Holy Spirit in keeping us in? Um, anyone ever thought maybe one day woken up and gone, oh, I don't know that I can do this any longer? All right, I'm the only, only honest one. Okay, the rest of you don't have any doubts. I mean, I've been a Christian for 40 years now. I still wake up some mornings and go, God... If you're there, you better show up because life circumstances and just how I'm feeling right now, I'm starting to worry. How do we stay in? How do we continue? How do we grow in God? We do it through the Holy Spirit. There are scriptures that tell us that it's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. It's the Holy Spirit who opens up and allows us to see what we need to see. The Holy Spirit liberates us to live a life free from law. The most exciting thing about Christianity is you can be yourself. You can actually be yourself. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to release us and liberate us to be who God created us to be. I love that because I'm a bit of a maverick at times. And I just love when God comes to me and goes, I quite like you. You know, I created you. I like you the way you are. I mean, I'm not happy with everything you're doing and the way you are, but I like you right now. I want you to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. I don't want you to get into law and start feeling bad about things. The Holy Spirit is here to guide us. The Holy Spirit is here to empower us. The Holy Spirit is here to grow us. The Holy Spirit will affirm us. The Holy Spirit will equip us. And what got everyone off in the charismatic movement was that people were reading the texts about the gifts of the Spirit and they were going, we need this for the church, we need to be equipped and empowered and they just kind of went way off in that direction. And then we had the other pushback that said it's all about the fruits and nothing about the gifts. Folks, it's both. Paul would say to you, you need the fruit but you need the gifts. You need the fruit but you need to be empowered. It's a whole package. My cousin Susie um, was a nominal Christian. We were, we were all brought up to be kind of nominal Christians. At the age of 18, I had an experience of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think I was saved before then. I'm sure I was, but I was very doubting in a lot of areas and I was really struggling about whether I should you know, continue with this. It was all too hard. And I had an experience of the Holy Spirit that brought the affirmation and the guidance that I needed at that point. That was a life-changing experience. My cousin, who was a nominal, you know, went to church, family kind of background thing, um, was nursing one day. She went home that night and someone came around to talk to her and I don't think it was anything marvellous that they shared 
she got on her knees, she got gloriously saved and also incredibly filled with the Spirit. Just absolutely Acts 2 experience. Now, I, I saw her the day before and I saw her about three days later. The change was absolutely phenomenal. She was out there, she wanted to tell everyone. She was the best evangelist that anyone could ever hope for. You wanted to lock her up in a room for a while. She was out there, she was telling a nursing buddy, she was telling everyone. And it was a, a, a real reminder for me that the power of the Holy Spirit, that the work of the Holy Spirit is ultimately going to see us through. I don't know where you are in your walk. You might have got out of bed this morning going, this is the last chance, God. <laughs> you know, I'm sick of you. I'm sick of it. I can't do it anymore. I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit, the honourable bird, the hound of heaven, is here today and wants to empower you. If you've come looking for guidance, he wants to guide you. If you're looking for truth, he can lead you into truth. Whatever you're seeking to either begin the Christian walk or continue the Christian walk, the Holy Spirit is here in order that that would take place. I just want to challenge you and encourage you. We're not alone. We're not alone. When all else is stripped away, we have the Holy Spirit within us, the third person of the Trinity, who is there for us and with us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, loving, saving Son, we thank you that you have sent the Spirit to dwell in our hearts and in our lives. Father, we're not sure sometimes what that means and sometimes we're completely insensitive to your Holy Spirit at work in our lives, but Today we re-acknowledge that you are living within us by your Spirit. That everything that we need for, to live the life that you've called us to live is found through your Holy Spirit. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to be and do all that you need to in our lives. Father, we pray for the people living ne uh, meeting next door. We pray that as they seek a spirit that they would encounter you. That your Holy Spirit would not only be present in this room but would be working in every area of this building and in this suburb and in this nation. Father, we're so grateful that we don't have to do it on our own. We're so grateful that you are here with us by your Spirit. And we commit our lives afresh to you. We commit ourselves to be reliant upon your Holy Spirit rather than on ourselves. Be with each one of us, we pray. Amen. By the way, this is probably the best slide I love of the Trinity. And I'll leave you with that one. Let's thank Cheryl. Beautiful. so wonderfully uh, presented for us this morning. Why don't we stand and finish our service this morning with uh, the benediction. And um, we're going to continue over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, we've actually got a group of people uh, meeting this week and have met once before. And we're just praying and discussing what it means for us to be a people of the Spirit here at Fitzroy North. And we want to be a people of um, whole intention, the various facets and um, ministries of the Holy Spirit, whether it be the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowering us to be a witness, and the Holy Spirit giving us um, gifts in order that the church might be all that the church is called to be. We want to see each one of those uh, particular nuances of the Spirit of God manifest in each one of our lives and in our midst corporately. And Certainly uh, Cheryl's helped uh, really provide a great foundation for that this morning. Now may the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace in your going out and in your coming in. 
in your sitting down and your rising up, in your work and in your play, in your joy and in your sorrow, until that day comes which is without dawn and without dark. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Feel free to come and join us as we go over to the park and uh, hopefully we'll see you throughout the week or possibly next Sunday. Bless you. Oh